I'm Leah Carey, and this is Good Girls Talk About Sex. This is a place to share conversations with all sorts of women about their experience of sexuality. Before we get started, I want to tell you this. These are unfiltered conversations between adult women talking about sex. If anything about the previous sentence offends you, turn back now. And if you're looking for a trigger warning, you're not going to get it from me. I believe that you are stronger than the trauma you have experienced. I have faith in your ability to deal with the things that upset you. Sound good? Let's start the show. In today's episode, we'll meet Jane, a 36-year-old cisgender woman who describes herself as white, heteroflexible, monogamous, and with a partner of three years. Jane went to Catholic school while she was growing up in Scotland, and in her family, she learned that certain topics should never be discussed, including sex. I want to note that I didn't go searching for stories of BDSM for this season, but it kept cropping up in interviews, even when I wasn't expecting it. If you're interested in bringing some elements of beginner BDSM into your relationship, and you'd like some help navigating that process, I'm available to coach you one-on-one or as a couple. You can find information at leahcarry.com forward slash coaching. I'm so pleased to introduce Jane. Jane, I'm so excited to talk to you. Thank you so much for doing this with me today. Thank you. I'm very excited to talk about my sex life. It's not something I talk about very much. So thank you. Excellent. (laughs) That's exactly how I like it. Exactly. (laughs) This could be like, you know, first time on a lot of these, which is great because it's needed. It's excellent. Well, let's get dive right in. Um, How did you discover sex? I kind of vaguely remember when I was young playing with Barbies with my cousin and she was a year older than me and I feel like she brought it up Mm. and I don't know how she'd heard about it and I'm trying to think how old we would not have been old. We were maybe like, I don't know, seven, eight Uh and I don't even really remember what she said or what the conversation was, but I do just remember it coming up. And that's kind of like the first recollection I have of someone mentioning that. Yeah, I think that's it. Was it at the time, do you remember it being like a sort of titillating conversation, like giggling behind your hands? Or was it like... The, the grown-ups do this weird thing? Like, what was the feeling of the conversation? It was like the grown-ups do this weird thing. <laughs> so it wasn't... <laughs> it wasn't like a funny, ha, ha, ha. It was more like, oh, oh, okay. Like, I'm not sure how I feel about that. Yeah. Yeah. Do you remember the first time that you encountered the idea of sex in a way that was sort of titillating for you? So I must have been maybe about 10, 11 years old. 
and you know kind of seeing this boy in my class and liking him and kind of knowing that there were feelings there and thinking about him in a somewhat like very pg sexually <laughs> right yeah like maybe i was with him and we were like in our underwear but that's it like no boobs no penis just like <laughs> that was as far as it went were you kissing at that point yeah, yeah. oh oh yeah. wow okay yeah i wouldn't say big massive french kisses but uh <laughs> But yeah, definitely. Like I wasn't with him. It was just someone I liked. So this was more of a fantasy. Oh, oh, so you weren't actually kissing him no, in I your underwear. Kissing. No, no, okay. no. But this was just, what you were thinking about. This is what I was thinking about. Yes. Gotcha. Yeah. I was a bit of a, I guess, a late bloomer in the kissing world. You know, I hadn't quite uh, done that until I was a couple years into high school. Uh-huh. But there was a lot of you know, prep in my head of how that would go. <laughs> I I recognize that. I didn't have my first kiss until I was 17, but that mm. was preceded by about four years of intense fantasy and curiosity about what it yeah. would be like. Definitely, yeah. definitely. I think I was maybe 14, 13, 14 when I had my first kiss, which most of all my other friends had. So I was kind of the late bloomer at that point. Did you enjoy it? Um, yes, actually. Thankfully for me, he was he was a decent kisser. I was nervous as fuck. Like, dear God, <laughs> I remember shaking, like shaking. <laughs> but it, it was nice. And he was a very nice guy um, from the... 10 minutes that I had talked to him before we made out he seemed like a nice guy and then you know we I met him a couple of other times after that and he definitely was so uh, that's when you know thankfully for me my first kiss was actually a good one yeah yeah nice so as people will be able to tell from your accent you grew up in a different country yes I did. <laughs> so I'm curious, um, I have a few questions about this, mm-hmm. but the first one is, um, what were sort of the social conversations, what country did you grow up in, first of all, and what were the social conversations that happened around sex and sexuality in in that culture? Sure. So I was born and raised in Scotland. Um, don't live there anymore, so I would say my accent's definitely died down a little bit hopefully people can understand what I'm saying um and I was also I think a big part of my growing up I was raised Catholic not something I continue to practice at all but uh, I think for this conversation it's it's an important factor so yeah um relationships sex was just not something that was brought up and not because my parents were strict catholic at all they weren't my mum wasn't my dad had also been raised that way they sent me to a catholic school because they liked the school but my grandparents were were catholic and the rest of my family a lot of them were practicing so yeah sex just never really came up um for my parents because their parents had never really talked about it so it just wasn't the thing to talk about mm-hmm. it was an awkward uncomfortable conversation that people avoided and it was also something you know it was none of 
your business. You wouldn't have a conversation with your girlfriend about that because you kind of felt like you would be intruding oh. um, on their privacy. So you never really asked questions about other people's sex life. Um, and yeah, it just wasn't talked about. And then in terms of education, because I went to a Catholic school, the education wasn't great around it either. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, at high school, we're all rampant teenagers who are dying to have sex, or some of them had. And um, we, it's, I just feel like, and not to beat the school I went to down, it's a great school in all other aspects, and there's amazing teachers there, but they just really did us a disservice in that. And I hope it's changed. You know, we're mm-hmm. talking many years ago, and I hope that's changed. But there really wasn't much. We were taught sex ed from our religious education teachers. Oh, wow. Yes. So what did that, that was one of my questions. Like, what did sex ed look like for you? What did you learn in those classes? Honestly, it was probably just a couple of classes. It wasn't even a lot. Um, We were just basically kind of told about the process And then how we shouldn't do it until, you know, we're ready and we meet someone, which, I mean, in hindsight is not bad advice, right? (laughs) But uh, it was almost like it's wrong to do it Mm -hmm. now at your age, at teenage years. It's wrong. They were pro-life, of course. So there was uh, a lot of talk around, you know, going well, there wasn't a lot of talk around on contraception and what you could do, but it was more like, you know, don't have an abortion because that's wrong. Don't necessarily go on the pill because that's not, you know, I don't know. It's just not done. Um, yeah, so it just it wasn't very in-depth from what I remember. It was awkward. It was an awkward conversation for a religious education teacher to have. I actually now, looking back, feel quite sorry for that teacher that she had to do that. <laughs> um, she probably wasn't very well trained in that, so I don't also want to blame her at all. So looking back, I kind of wish they had given us more prep on contraception, where to go, who to talk to. Um, what to do if someone sexually assaults you. There was no talk Mm. of that. So, I mean, most of my sex ed in the end came from a teenage magazine called Just 17 at the time. And then as I grew up, there was Cosmo and then TV shows like Sex and the City. All of which are excellent sources for really clear, helpful (laughs) sexual information. (laughs) Right? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So not the best, but at least it was something. It was something. (laughs) What did you see in your childhood home with your parents? Like, did you... Uh, did you see them being affectionate? Did you understand that there was something that happened when they went into their bedroom behind closed doors? So, um, no, I didn't see them being affectionate at all. I uh, love my parents very much and they're thankfully still together. But they did get married because they, they got married very young because they fell pregnant with me. And I think there was a lot of tension in the beginning and it wasn't like your kind of normal lovey-dovey relationship it was more 
there was a kid involved, so it they had to be together. Not that they didn't have sex. I'm pretty sure they probably did. But, uh, well, I have two younger brothers, so they clearly did. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I I never really thought about it, I guess, when I was, grow- like, when I was really young. Yeah, it was just one of those things that I just didn't really think about, mostly because I didn't feel when I was young that, they were in a loving relationship. And I mean, I could be wrong. They were maybe just very private about it, but I don't think so. Um, Yeah, so I never really thought too much like, oh, what's happening in there? You know, just my mum got pregnant and then I guess I figured out it must have happened at some point. (laughs) (laughs) You mentioned that they were very young when they got pregnant with you. Did that play into their conversation with you at all about, like you better be careful or you're not allowed to date boys until or there wasn't really a conversation like that I mean there didn't have to be because I could just sense like my dad is not a very open emotional person that's not something he would sit down and talk to you about but if I ever had like if I was dating a boy at high school and they came over to my house my you know my mom would say if you guys are in the bedroom you keep the door open make sure the door's open so there was always just like that was literally it that was all Hmm. that was ever kind of said and then it wasn't until when I left high school and was about to go to university I was dating someone and it was probably one of my more serious boyfriends And we had decided we wanted to go away for the weekend. So at that point in time, when I'd started dating him, I thought I should go and see about going on the pill. So I just went on my own. And I don't remember how I knew where to go. I think I knew that there was a, we would call it a family planning clinic. There was one in my town. Actually, I may have gone there with my mum when I was younger, when she had Mm. gone on the pill. So I think that's why I knew where it was. So I just made an appointment and went and got on the pill. And it was really funny. I remember kind of packing to go on this trip with my boyfriend and my mum kind of awkwardly coming to the door. And she's like, you know, if you're you're going on this trip, then maybe you should consider going on the pill. And I went, it's already done. And she's like, oh, okay then. And then she walked out. Like, phew, awkward conversation done. (laughs) She didn't have to do that. So she was like, yes, I'm off the hook. Thankfully, my daughter is smart enough to figure that stuff out herself. So one of the things that I'm interested in talking a lot about this season is how our relationship with our body affects our relationship with sex. So how, what kinds of messages did you get around your body and how you looked? Thankfully for me, like I, I wasn't bad looking as I never really had trouble finding a boyfriend or dating, um, which I think was also a bit of a downside, but uh, I was real. I wouldn't go as far as saying popular, but I, there was interest for sure from from boys. So that was never really an issue. But then I think as I started to um, move more into the t- my twenties, 
like my actual body and how I looked mm-hmm. I became more influenced around working out to make sure I would stay fit I would do yoga and then I eventually did yoga teacher training so that became you know my way of looking after my body and I think in my 20s was fine but then as soon as my 30s hit and I started to to gain weight or struggle to kind of keep weight off or have to work a lot harder Mm-hmm. I think I would actually say my sex life suffered more hmm. um, in my 30s and has suffered in my 30s because I can't stay as fit as I was in my 20s. And I it actually really affects me even right now that I, I still struggle with that. Uh, I probably struggle with it now more than I did when I was younger. And to clarify, is the struggle because your body is uncomfortable or because you are uncomfortable with how you look and how your partner might see you? I'm uncomfortable with how I look. Mm. Yeah. And what do you hear from your partner? I mean, I think he thinks I'm crazy. you know I I don't think it's an issue for him at all but we have talked about it which is great Mm -hmm. you know and he's he's very kind of uh he's great to kind of have those conversations with he's always very open and he knows that I don't like right now I feel like I don't have a lot of self-esteem so yeah he still loves me the way I am and you know tell me that but at the same time I think he knows he doesn't want to go on because he doesn't want to make me feel like you know he's just saying that or make me feel worse because he knows that right now I'm in a weird place where I'm kind of struggling with accepting myself and so how does that specifically show up like when you're in the middle of making out or having a sexual interaction with him, does it cause you to pull back literally? Or like, what are the thoughts that are going on in your head? (laughs) Yeah. Um, It doesn't cause me to pull back, but in my mind, like I feel like I can't really be in that moment because I feel like my belly's too big and that he's probably noticing that even though he is not, he does not care in that moment. He's, you know, (laughs) Um, so it's, yeah, I'm thinking of that. I'm thinking my thighs are too big. I won't put on lingerie or which is something that I find fun and love doing, but it's just something I've not been able to do lately because I don't feel like I look good in it anymore. Mm -hmm. So you know, having that kind of fun has been something that has slipped because I don't feel good about myself. Mm. I remember when I was going through my um, sexual journey, or journey of sexual exploration, Mm. and I thought I wanted to find some cute lingerie or underwear, and I didn't think that women my size were allowed to wear that. Um, at size 14, I thought that that was something that, you know, if you have a belly and thighs, that was just not something you were supposed that it wasn't yeah. even made for women like me. Yeah. And I went into, a, a, I think I went into a Macy's and I found the most wonderful woman who thankfully was actually larger than me. 
and was incredibly like sexy. And so when I said to her, I'm scared that I'm not supposed to wear this, she was able to be like, oh, honey. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. (laughs) Yeah. The fact, I, I mean, I know that that shouldn't matter, but the fact that she was larger than me and presented as mm-hmm. a sexy woman made all the difference for me to be able to actually try stuff on and choose something. Yeah, that's amazing. I know, yeah. you know, it's funny because I, I, uh, when I look at other women, I love when they have big thighs and they've got that confidence or if their boobs are a bit bigger. Like I'm pretty petite, but yet still beat myself up. But mm-hmm. I would never, like, I never judge other women when, you know, if I see someone in lovely lingerie or something, I think, oh, my God, they look amazing. They look amazing. But I still hate myself. Mm-hmm. So it's yeah. it's interesting. And, I mean, I'm not overweight. That's There's, like, these daunting, I call them my dementors, because um, I can suffer a lot from anxiety <laughs> and uh when that these types of thoughts come in and they don't just come in in my sex life they come in in my career they come in in lots of different areas but when they come in they're so rooted that even though I know the thought that I'm having is stupid and crazy I can I I believe them I believe these dementors over anything Are you aching to explore new vistas of your sexuality? Do you hear me talk about concepts on this show and think it makes sense, but I need help applying it to my particular situation? That's where personalized sex and intimacy coaching comes in. When you work with me, I promise to help you feel safe exploring your sexuality. Together, we'll look at your needs and desires without judgment and help you figure out how to fulfill them. There is no single answer that's right for everyone, so I'm going to help you discover what's right for you. And we'll go at your pace. That's the pace that respects your emotional needs, your boundaries, and your nervous system. Because going too fast can send you into shutdown, while going too slow can be infuriating and exhausting. The goal is to find what's right for you. I work with clients who are motivated to explore many different areas of sexuality, including things like expressing your sexual desires to current or future partners, exploring if you might be queer, challenging body image insecurity in sexual relationships, dipping your toes into BDSM, exploring consensual non-monogamy, learning to date after a long time out of the dating pool, exploring your sexuality for later in life virgins, and so much more. I want you to have a deeply fulfilling, intimate life. And together, we can help you get there. For more information and to schedule your discovery call, visit leahcarry.com forward slash coaching. That's leahcarry.com forward slash coaching.
You know, I recently, just a few months ago, started going to the gym. And I don't go that often. I go maybe once or twice a week. Um, But I was really nervous about starting to go because I was nervous that if my body started to change, if I, you know, if it got a little bit tighter, or I lost some weight, that my partner would comment on it and tell me, oh, you look great. And then I would think that in order for him to continue to love me, I had to maintain that body. And what if I couldn't? And so I specifically said to him, before I started going, here's the deal. If I do this, I need you to never, ever, ever, ever say anything to Mm. me about my body. Yeah. And he was like, okay. Yeah. (laughs) And, and to me, that feels good. Like, you know, it would be lovely to have that kind of affirmation and validation Mm. of, oh, you look great. But the downside of it, I think is so much further down than the upside of hearing you look good would be for me. Yeah, I, I I think that's actually a great thing to do. And I never thought of that. Um, But one thing, you know, my partner had said to me is, when I think at one point he brought up, oh, you don't wear the lingerie anymore. I love when you do that. And then when we'd had the conversation of how I was feeling that I was struggling with how I how I looked, and he says, you know, I'm I'm sorry if I, I you know, brought up the lingerie. Like I won't do that until, mm. you know, when you're ready to wear that again. Then that's great, but don't feel pressured. Oh, it sounds like he's really supportive of yep. where you are. Yes, very. Yeah, very. excellent. I'm lucky. Let's talk a little bit about your current relationship. And so what is sex like in your current relationship? So it, um, I can start from the start. It was amazing. And we were incredibly attracted to one another, um, because I was looking for someone who was a bit outside the box. Most of my relationships were just fairly, you know, I don't want to say boring sex, but the sex wasn't, you know, super <laughs> exciting. It was kind of same, same, you know, when you get into a relationship and you're either on your back or you're on top and that kind of <laughs> The only two things that happened, right? Yeah. And I had always, and actually I feel like looking back, even in my late teens, always craved more. But I didn't know or really understand what that would be or look like. So were you already having sex at that point? I was, yes. And you were you were wanting the sex to be different than it was, but you didn't know how to quantify that. Exactly. Exactly. Uh-huh. So yeah, it wasn't exciting. It wasn't bad. It was fine and you know, as time went on, I would start, you know, for the first few years that I had partners, I don't even think I orgasmed with them. I mean, I, I mm. basically either had to masturbate or use, and use my vibrator for that to happen. And then eventually I found a partner where I did orgasm. So that was a step up. Like, uh-huh. yay. <laughs> so, you know, mid-20s actually started to have orgasms while having sex. That was, you know, that was great. And uh 
But then as that relationship went on, I just felt again, like there was something missing. I needed more, but I didn't know what. And of course, I didn't want to bring it up with that particular partner who I'm sure would have been open to that conversation. But I just wasn't. I wasn't. That was the Mm -hmm. problem. Yeah, then that ended. And then I dated for a while and found a couple of people where I had more fun with. But they were, you know, short term. They weren't relationships. It was just kind of having fun, which was fine at the time. But I knew I wanted a relationship as well. So I was trying to find that balance of someone who I could have a bit more kinkier, fun sex with, but have a long term relationship. So thankfully, I found that person. And uh, so we were pretty attracted and just through like a dating site and we were very attracted to one another and had a lot of sex in the beginning (laughs) (laughs) which was all amazing and um, still is amazing when it happens but as I say I'm now going through this whole point where I'm struggling with myself and it wasn't that way when we first met so because of that things haven't been as um sexual as they had been mm-hmm. but I feel like I just and thankfully again yeah he's incredibly supportive and um is always open to talk about to talking about you know do I want something different do I want to try something new which has been amazing to have someone like that because I never did I never did mm. and uh yeah it's again things are suffering because I'm struggling with myself so hopefully as time goes on we can we're trying to talk through it and get back to to not exactly back we obviously we were in the honeymoon phase in the beginning where things were a lot a lot of sex but even just get back to me feeling better about myself so we can have more fun so before we started recording, you had mentioned that you have some challenges around communicating about what you want. Mm-hmm. Can can we talk a little bit about that? Yeah, yeah. I, I'm not sure. Well, I see. I'm not sure where it stemmed from, but I guess it probably just came from my upbringing and sex being something that wasn't really talked about. And I, I still struggle with that, even though... You know, I'll openly talk to my friends if they have issues with their sex life and they want to have that conversation. And I'm happy to kind of open up a little bit about my own um, as long as, you know, my partner's okay with that. And, uh, but I just still sometimes struggle with talking about what I want because I have this fear. And I remember us having this conversation, my partner and I, that I just was like, I'm just terrified you're going to leave me. Mm. And it's not that it's actually, it's never happened to me where I've, you know, eventually brought something up that I've wanted to do and the guy has left me for that. It's never happened. So I'm not sure why I feel that way. But I think in general, you know, I've just, I've been someone who was, just always told to kind of mind your own business don't poke your nose in other people's business don't talk about things that shouldn't be talked about like you know sex money Mm -hmm. death whatever don't talk about those things because you don't want other people to feel uncomfortable Mm. like be the good girl Mm -hmm. right 
and and don't have those conversations because people don't want to talk about that and of course they do of course they (laughs) want to talk about it right yeah so if you felt more comfortable saying out loud what it was you wanted what kinds of things would you say to him that's a great question um I mean I think we're almost at the stage of what I I wanted which was just to have a lot more kinkier sex and uh, maybe kind of try out some, you know, BDSM mm-hmm. as well. But yeah, I think uh, just even like to, when I first met him who and we could do things like that, it was it was great, but I was nervous because I didn't really know what what I'd like and what I wouldn't like. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to turn around and say that I didn't like something if he liked it Mm. so that's kind of where the struggle came thankfully as our relationship has grown I feel like I can say that but I still like if he'll ask me is there something new that you want to try I kind of feel like I don't know I don't know if there is and I kind of retract Uh uh-huh because I get nervous and shy and then I feel like, what if I say something that's wrong? What if I say something that he doesn't like? What if I upset him? Um, what if it's something really embarrassing? Hmm. And he leaves me. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I think I would like to do more BDSM for sure. And I mean, he knows that. We've talked about that. I think we've kind of talked about everything lately, but there was a struggle in the beginning for me to say I do want that and I don't want that. One thing I've I was very upfront about is that I don't like anal sex, so I don't want to go there. Mm-hmm. So we've had that conversation, thankfully, um, and he's been very respectful of that. But you know, there's so much out there that we could probably try, and I'm a little. No, I don't want not skeptical is the right word, but I'm too scared mm-hmm. to try it even though I'm with someone who would probably be very open. Yeah. So if I can just switch into my coaching hat for a moment. Everything that you're saying are things that I hear from clients all the time. You are not even remotely alone in these fears and this discomfort in talking about the things that you want. Um, and one of the things that the BDSM community does incredibly well is conversation and negotiation. Um, and so that community has these, I mean, if you, um, for anybody who's interested, who's listening to this, if you're interested in exploring some BDSM, something I highly recommend is Googling BDSM yes, no checklist or yes, no, maybe checklist. What it is, is a thing for each partner to fill out saying, yes, I'm interested in this. No, this is a hard red line. I never want to do this. And this is something that I might consider. And then the partners can compare the lists Mm -hmm. and say, okay, if there's something that's a hard red no for one of the partners, then it's off the table. But if there's something that's a really big interest for one and a maybe for the other, then we can sort of negotiate about whether that's something that we want to 
try or not? Like, how big a desire is it? Yeah. And how big a maybe is it? And then if there's something that's a yes for both, awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Then do it. (laughs) Then try it. And it's okay if one of you does, if one or both of you doesn't like it, you can then say, like you have a a communication grid Mm -hmm. or a rubric now that you can use to say, you know what, that just moved from my yes list to my maybe not really no. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And so I've been really intrigued by these yes, no, maybe checklists and been disappointed by the fact that it was very hard to find one that Mm -hmm. was for more quote unquote vanilla couples, like for couples who aren't actually interested in going to that next level, but still want that, that ability to, to fill out a yes, no list and compare it with their partner. And like, are you into anal sex? Are you into public displays of affection? Are you, do you like to cuddle all that stuff? So I created one. Amazing. <laughs> so I will send that to you Please. and I will make it available to, to all of the listeners. Um, yeah. I, I listen at the end and I will tell you how to download that. Oh, that's um, awesome. So yeah, that's exactly like my work as a sexual communication coach is all about this because none of us learned how to communicate about this stuff. We really didn't. I, I don't know where in the curriculum at high school (laughs) they could fit that in, or I don't know, someone could send the parents a sheet on what to talk about or something but that would be great. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, we talk about even the best sex education, at least in the United States, even the very best sex education is basically disease and pregnancy prevention. Mm-hmm. It's not about how to communicate and how to identify your desires and advocate for yourself and all of those things. Friends, if you love these conversations, I would love your help to keep them going. There are three ways you can participate. Two are free, and one is for listeners who've got a few extra dollars each month. Number one, take a screenshot of this episode right now and post it to your Instagram stories. Tag me in your post, and if it's public, I'll reshare and send you a personal thank you. Word of mouth is the best way to build buzz for an independent show like Good Girls Talk About Sex. And the more people listening, the healthier our collective sexual experiences will become. Number two, don't want the whole world to know you're listening to a show about sex? I get it. Perhaps you heard something in this episode that reminds you of a past conversation with a friend or something you wish your partner knew send them a link to this episode and a quick message about why you think they should listen. And number three, if you have the resources to support the sex positive work I do, I'd be grateful for your support at Patreon. Donating the equivalent of a fancy cup of coffee each month might not make a big difference to you, but it makes a huge difference to me. There's absolutely no contract or obligation. You can cancel at any time. Plus, I donate 10% of all proceeds to ARC Southeast, an organization that supports women in the Southeast United States to access reproductive services that are currently being legislated out of existence. 
It's easy to become a patron at patreon.com forward slash good girls talk about sex. And one more thing, there is a treasure trove of additional audio at Patreon that's free to everyone. You don't even need to have a Patreon account to access them. Just go to patreon.com forward slash good girls talk about sex to start listening. I appreciate every one of you, whether you're a client, a patron, a social media follower, or a silent listener. I trust you to know what's right for you. Thank you for being here. Now, let's get back to the show. Before we finish up, let's do the quick five. Five quick questions we'd usually be too polite to ask any good girl. Do you have hair down there or are you bare? Oh, it depends on if I can be bothered shaving. Sometimes it's hairy, (laughs) sometimes it's not. So, yeah, it depends on my schedule. Yeah. When you shave, do you shave all the way? Yeah, usually. I try. Mm -hmm. So here's the funny thing. I wear glasses. I don't know if you experience this. I attempt to shave all the way and then I get out the shower and I put my glasses on and it's... (laughs) A freaking disaster. (laughs) So that's hilarious. (laughs) I know. And I hate getting waxed. So, anyway. (laughs) What's the kinkiest thing you enjoy? Mm. I like being tied up. Yeah. I kind of like losing that, you know, control factor because I think I'm a bit of a control freak in my day to day life. So, I like someone else having that control do you enjoy tying your partner up as well or just going that one way just the one way I think is preferred because yeah again it's just it's a moment where I can give away control and it's almost like a relief yeah yeah but I mean if he wanted to be tied up I'd be happy to (laughs) give it a go (laughs) do you squirt no Do you have any desire for that or do you feel any pressure to do it? No pressure, for sure. I have maybe twice in my life um, and it was incredibly rough and long sex before that had to happen. So um, I think it would just take, and it was kind of painful sex, but not, not that, I didn't tolerate it. I kind of enjoyed it, but it took a long time for that to happen. And it was a bit of a shock to me because I was kind of convinced that I probably couldn't because I hadn't. Um, so, yeah, so I have, but it, it doesn't happen often. Mm-hmm. How do you feel when your partner can't get or loses an erection? Um, that's something I struggle with and I know I shouldn't because I know it's not me if it happens, but it's hard to try and like turn it around that I I do. I do. I think it's like, have I done something wrong? Am I not attractive enough? But that's my own dementors coming back. Yeah. 
I love that concept of the Dementors. I actually wrote it down because I want, like, as a huge Harry Potter fan, that is something that I can really relate to. Like, this is something that is outside of me. Mm -hmm. That that is tormenting me. Yeah, and, like, sucks. Yeah. Sucks your life force. and life force, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I like that a lot. Do you tend to orgasm quickly or take a long time? No, I take forever. (laughs) Honest to God, like forever. I need to probably have sex, like, so get the first one done and then go again. And I might orgasm on the second one. But it's like, like the second time having sex in the one go. So we could have sex, rest for a bit. And if he's ready to go again, if he wants to, then... We go and I will probably orgasm the second time around. I see. So you won't orgasm during the first go round. It's very rare. Mm -hmm. And how do you feel if you have a sex session without an orgasm? Do you feel unsatisfied or is that just sort of par for the course? No, I don't necessarily worry too much if I don't orgasm. If I really feel like I want to, I'll pull out the vibrator and be like, okay, come on, finish me off. But Sometimes I really don't feel like I need to, and I'm okay with that. Well, Jane, this has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for taking the time to do this and for being so open and generous with your stories. Thank you. Thank you for having this podcast. It's needed. So needed. Yeah, it's been educational for me. So thank you. Earlier in this conversation, I mentioned the yes, no, maybe list that I have available for you to download. The yes, no, maybe checklist is an amazing tool to open conversation with a lover, especially when you've fallen into a bit of a rut and want to shake things up, or if you're playing with a new partner and want to get the most out of your time together. Not only will it help you to begin conversations about new adventures you might like to have, it might even give you some ideas you'd never considered before. You can get the checklist at leahcarry.com forward slash checklist. That link will be in the show notes, and I would love to hear how it works for you. Let me know. That's it for today. If you're enjoying the show, please take a moment to leave a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, or if you're using another podcast app, go to ratethispodcast.com forward slash goodgirls. And remember, there's a treasure trove of audio extras available for free at Patreon. Go to patreon.com forward slash goodgirlstalkaboutsex. While listening to those extras is free, producing this show is not. If my work is meaningful to you, and you have a few dollars to support it each month, I will gratefully accept your patronage at Patreon. I donate 10% of all Patreon proceeds to ARC Southeast, an organization that supports women in the Southeast United States to access reproductive services that are increasingly difficult to obtain. Find out more and become a community member at patreon.com forward slash good girls talk about sex show notes and transcripts for this episode are at goodgirlstalk.com follow me on instagram twitter and youtube at good girls talk for more sex positive content 
If you have a question or comment about anything you've heard on the show, call and leave a message at 720-GOOD-SEX. Good Girls Talk About Sex is produced by me, Leah Carey, and edited by Gretchen Kilby. I have additional administrative support from Lara O'Connor and Maria Franco. Transcripts are produced by Jan Osiello. Before we go, I want to remind you that the things you may have heard about your sexuality aren't true. You are worthy. You are desirable. You are not broken. As your sex and intimacy coach, I will guide you in embracing the sexuality that is innately yours, no matter what it looks like. To set up your free discovery call, go to leahcarry.com forward slash coaching. Until next time, here's to your better sex life. <laughs>